I can't. I mean, but the fans, the fans love him in Louisiana. Yeah, well, the fans love the love movie him. The Water Boy too, but that doesn't mean that you should make Bobby Boucher your coach. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Nathan, and Justin isn't here right now because he's still going through the cultural humiliation that is the uh, industrial wedding complex. So uh, as co-host today, I have with me Kyle and Matt. Say hi, guys. Hello. Hey, guys. Uh, and these are Kyle and Matt are two of my old friends from my Redcoat days who sort of... Um, were the indoctrinating forces into in my life and making me uh, a Georgia fan. Well, I I would say they were the people who convinced me that it was okay to be sort of like uh, borderline psychotic about sports uh, and college football in particular. So we are going to cover many and sundry topics tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about UGA's athletic department and where it is now and where it's going. We're going to talk about our predictions and thoughts for the seasons. And then we're going to just tell some stories and do some dumb, uh, relive our dumb college days. Well, not (laughs) some parts of our dumb college days. So to start out, I thought we would just sort of talk about where UGA is athletic as an athletic program uh, from a leadership standpoint. And the reason I want to talk about that is that Matt and his lovely and very talented and smart wife, Rebecca, were sort of ha- sort of had a very public uh, back and forth with Greg McGarity that was mediated via the AJC earlier this year uh, in, cons- in regards to the ticket prices. So I'm going I'm to set this up and I just want to let you two talk. So I would say that there is from sort of the uh, a skimming of the situation would tell you that, well, you know, UGA, very successful, makes a lot of money. Um, clearly, the on-field results have been there recently in both football and in the non-revenue sports. So, you know, I think from the a sort of first brush, you would say, well, hey, this is, a, this is definitely an athletic department that is heading in the right direction. But I think that there is a sense among many of the more dedicated fans that there is a, a leadership vacuum in this uh, in this department. And so... I, you know, that is definitely a disconnect that maybe the average everyday fan um, doesn't quite understand. So I thought you two would be uh, a, a very knowledgeable pair of people to talk us through sort of what some of your thoughts about the athletic department leadership as of right now. So uh, Matt, go. You go first. Yeah, Matt. I know, Matt, this is Matt. Why don't you, we'll start here. Matt, why don't you tell us about sort of the background of the back and forth that you and your wife had with uh, McGarity and sort of the athletic department writ large earlier this summer. Okay. I'll be happy to. And I want to start by saying this, that I really do like Georgia um, because I got accused in the, (laughs) on social media of being like anti Georgia for my uh, little public scuffle with our athletic director. Um, And I would also like to just preface by saying that my wife is a statistician she has two statistics degrees from the University of Georgia, and we're pretty proud of her for that. And um, and she's not an exceptional statistician. She's a normal statistician. And so if she was able to find the holes in Mr. McGarity's statistics, that means that anyone else in the whole world uh, with even just a basic understanding of like how data works would be able to do the same thing. And so there's that. So I, I like Georgia. And my wife is smarter than me. Let's get that out of the way right off the bat. Well, and probably the three of us combined. Yeah, um, most <laughs> likely. We all, most we likely. all, we all were sort of blessed with the um, 
Yeah, we're like we're all like the minor leaguers who hit like three important home runs when they were up in the major leagues. You know what I mean? But by yep. God, we got those for, going for us. That's we right. Were, we were there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, for people who don't know, my wife went by the handle um, Stat Dog, um, that was, and she was on Senator Blutarski's blog, and also dealt with Seth Emerson, who was at the AJC at the time, and has switched uh, since then. Um, and so they did some digging after she showed them her results, and figured it turns out that everything she was saying was correct, which we knew it was. Well, hold um, on, hold on. Let, just give the people some background on what okay, yeah, what was it that she was actually saying. My beef with Greg McGarity, our beef, uh, goes back a, a great deal. And it actually started with something somewhat trivial, but is relative to what we're talking about here because it started when they stopped sending the Redcoats to the away games that we used to go to, oh, such yeah, as right. South Carolina, Tennessee, games like that. And they stopped sending them not long after he became the AD. And like, so we emailed him to just say, hey, I feel like having the band at key sec games on the road is helpful and um his response was uh buffoonish and um sort of off-putting and so from then on i have not been a huge fan of his so i just want to preface by saying that there is some bias there uh because we did not get off on the best of foots but the the most recent run-in with him has to do with ticket prices and so i'll just kind of run down what happened um University of Georgia, I don't know if the people listening to this podcast probably know, but we had a pretty good season last year. Um, <laughs> yeah. Won the SEC, went to the Rose Bowl, you know, we're like... Won, won the Rose Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, we did win the Rose Bowl, and we were one really ridiculous play away from uh, winning the national championship. And anyway, that's all good, because again, back to my original statement, I do like Georgia. But right after that happened, Mr. McGarity, I'm going to refer to Mr. McGarity for the sake of respect... He, um, you're, not, you're telling me you're not going to use like old jug ears or anything? Um, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I've heard him called like uh, uh, Greg, Greg Mediocre or Mediocrity. I'm not going to call him that either. Um, so he's Mr. McGarity. And so he announced that they're going to raise, and Kyle, you guys are, were season ticket holders too, so you know this. They were yep. uh, going to raise the, um, um, the the price of the ticket, basically, um, going into this season. And to be clear, they're not, they didn't bump the Hartman Fund contribution. They bumped the face value of the tickets, right? I believe that's correct. And so what I do want to say is that the um, in previous, I've been a season ticket holder since I graduated. So in previous times when they have decided to raise ticket prices or Hartman donations or anything involved with that, they've given lots of notice, like years notice. Like we're going to do this in 2011 or, you know, just making a, and they'll tell you that in 2009. So you have lots of time to sort of understand what's coming and so forth. Um, on this particular raising of the prices, they did it with 16 days before you had to make your Hartman fund donation to get t season tickets for this year, more or less giving the average fan 16 days to decide if they were going to be able to come up with this money or not. And, and yeah, and, and I think also to be uh, to provide a little bit also of context, didn't they also sort of like sleazily ask for, for more money? Okay, so late. we all know that the and I yes. know that you guys try to state um, politics as far away as we can, but we know that the the tax law changed coming into this year. And for those of you who don't know, Hartman Fund donations used to be tax deductible, now not so much under the new law, and so. UGA tried to get people to make their Hartman Fund donations in 2017 so that they would be tax deductible. So that right. you could make your 2018 Hartman Fund donation in 2017 to take advantage of the tax law. And 
Then they raised the ticket prices after a whole bunch of people had already made their donation. Pretty sleazy. Right, because okay, then you yeah. then you sort of you've put down the money. To be clear, for those of us, because now I know not everyone's a season ticket holder. Um, to be clear, the, the the way that and correct me if I'm wrong here, but because I get my tickets free as of right now, but um, eh. yeah, the you way pay, you pay in blood, sweat, and tears, Nathan. yeah, I, yeah, I do. I, I pay in work. <laughs> um, but the way it works right now is that you have to hit a certain cutoff in terms of raw numbers donated to the Hartman Scholarship Fund, which is just the general scholarship fund for the school. And then, then that is what purchases you the ability. It's athletic scholarships. Athletic scholarships. Yeah. It's it's not football specifically. It's all scholarships. But your donation, hitting that donation cutoff is what allows you the ability to purchase the tickets. So it's, it's a little bit of a bait and switch if you're asked to donate all this money so you can buy the tickets and then the, the ticket price itself changes. Okay. So carry on. Okay. And so, um, my wife, uh, contacted Mr. McGarrity via email and to his credit, um, he is very good at responding to emails and always has been. And so he did respond, although his response was, again, buffoonish and <laughs> haphazard and um, not really well thought out. And anyway, it, which is pretty normal for a response from him. But again, I'm giving him credit for responding to the emails. Um, and one of the things that when, once this all came out in the media um, and he responded, one of the things he says is that, sort of a famous quote he made that's kind of biting him in the rear end now is that they had to do this quote in order to make ends meet for this oh year. Gosh. They had to raise the prices. Oh um, and so, you know, then we pointed out, well, if any leader of any organization has to raise the, you know, revenue sources at the last minute, uh, that means they've either mismanaged the budget or uh, they're, doing something shady like one or the other of those things is probably happening and you don't want either one of those happening from your athletic director so that didn't go over so well either so yeah that's that's kind of where we are as far as the um the hartman fund he he announced i'm I'm looking at that i pulled the thing up here that he needed to raise six million dollars in additional revenue by raising the ticket prices 16 days before the donations were due because they needed the six million dollars to make budget for this year and now, so, and, and, as you, and as you already said, Nathan, um, the athletic department, at least on the surface, appears to be doing quite well financially. So it's, it's an odd thing to say you needed $6 million randomly out of nowhere at the, at the last, last minute. minute. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I, well, I do want to – and I'll ask you this, Kyle, because I know this is sort of something that you've – I've heard you talk about before. On Waiting Since Last Saturday, which is our official wrestling um, feud partner – um, podcast they talked about when kirby smart got hired that sort of the georgia way was dead and what they meant by the georgia way was uh you know the idea that we win but we win clean and uh you know that's not really what kirby smart does and so that way is dead but i do think that there's something there was another component to the georgia way which is sort of this like culture of penny pinching right and i mean can you can you speak to that any can either i'll, I'll open this to either of you but kyle in particular can you speak to that in any way in particular or like what that you know what your experience with that has been. I mean, the, the, the Georgia way thing is what some fans like that was just, a, they could say, yeah, well, I really like Rick because he play, you know, he does the, does it the Georgia way. And I feel like it's, it's not a zero sum game. Like I don't think Kirby's doing anything bad. Like I don't think he's given recruits or having other people. Cause of course he's smart enough to not give money directly to recruits. Right. He's he not Hugh Freeze for God's <laughs> sake. Yeah. He's yeah. He's got, He's got people. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's not doing that. 
what else? I mean, what are some other things like? Well, I mean, he, we, well, we haven't come out. He, he doesn't have. He hasn't been caught, you know, on Broad Street with red panties in his lap. Oh, old Damon Evans. So I feel like maybe they're just. It's you know, with Rick, it was just very much promoted you know his faith following and even just general community outreach he would do and you know they would do they you know one time for uh preseason practice they you know they'd go to the practice field but rick say hey we're gonna go to the uh the notorium and jump off the diving board or we're gonna go bowling and i just don't think like kirby's I'm sure he's doing a lot of great things in the community and I'm sure the players are still doing a lot of great things in the community. So why aren't they getting more run in the media? I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I, that, yeah that, I, I don't get that. And so, I mean, I still, the media loves winning. Mark Richt and that, that is one aspect of this. And I loved Mark Richt too, but his in game skills and his prep skills started his management to of the roster. Yeah. Yeah. Especially his roster management started to, erode and he or he just yeah. never adjusted when you know Saban came in and started um more or less like finding the loopholes right. or just really pushing the envelope you know he i don't think Saban's ever broken the roster management rules but he pushed them as far as he can and that's so what, what that's were you cool gonna, by me what were you gonna say matt just that i think the roster management is if you want to see it, the stark contrast in the georgia way under mark Richt and under kirby smart is just that we we are never going to not have our full complement of players. And more years than not, it seems, under the Rick administration, we did. Yeah, we, we, were always hitting, we were hitting 81, yeah. 82, 83 instead of 85 yes. every year. Yep. Well, and I, I, I phrased that question to you uh, poorly there earlier, Kyle. That can kind of tie into what we talk about when we're talking about this on in the on-field sense. But I also think that, you know, the Georgia way in the off-field sense still hasn't totally corrected because I mean, for for all of the things that we've done facilities wise, I mean, Georgia still lags behind. We're in the back, what half of the sec in terms of modernity of facilities. I mean, I would like to speak real quickly on. So like the facility shortfalls under Mr. McGarity uh, and his predecessor. So let me just go ahead and say that this is not a new issue, but he sort of carried it on. And it's not so much that I feel like I, I'm I am upset as everyone is about us seemingly being behind in many capacities and having to play catch up now and being sort of reactionary to what other schools do. But it's not just that. It's that he has mismanaged the things that he has done. And I have a few examples here since this is a stats focused podcast. Yeah, sure. Thank, hit oh. me. Hit me. Hot uh, stats. Hot, the, these hot these hot hot stats coming coming right off the dome <laughs> yeah. here. In 2011, he spent $33 million on facility improvements that included a miniature indoor football facility at the Buttsmere Building. Uh, this past year, in order to build oh, yeah, the Jeremy right. Pruitt Memorial Building, they <laughs> tore that down, and it, they, it's cost them $30 million more. In essence, the $33 million they spent on the first non-useful indoor practice facility was wasted money. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay, so there's one. In 2011, $1.4 million was allocated for a new scoreboard at Sanford Stadium. Anyone who's been to a game at Sanford Stadium since 2011 knows that the scoreboard is not big enough, not clear enough, and that the sound quality is the worst in sports. Yes. and I, But it genuinely – I mean, I've been to 
now all I've been to every SEC stadium but Texas A&M at this point, and it it genuinely might be the worst in the SEC. It, it's like, horrible. Yeah, and it was. And for the record, it's seven years old now, but it was horrible on the first day it was installed. Yeah, it was horrible from the beginning. They they penny pinched. They Georgia waited, if that's what you're going to say. And so now we're seven years in, and part of this sixty-four million dollar Cadillac West End Zone project that they're building. They got to build a new scoreboard because the old one's garbage. And so, you know, there you go. It, mismanagement. So, well, I mean, and I mean, have you guys seen the locker rooms? Well, yeah, you got, you guys weren't bad. You guys have been up under there. You know what the yeah. locker rooms look like? Yeah, they're, they're terrible. I get it. It's like a hundred. It's like we have a $120 million budget surplus, give or take. Now, I think Greg McGarity would argue that it's less than that, but I would say that's kind of just creative accounting on the part of most athletic departments who want to look like they're running in the red. We have we have a huge surplus, and our team this year, which went to the national championship, I will point out, our team yep. was in the same locker rooms that Kirby Smart had when he was a player. Oh no, Just, no, no, oh. Nathan, no, Nathan, let's do better than that. Those locker rooms go back to the Ray Golf era, the Ray Golf era. Um, so it, it's horrible. Um, the actual structure that that's under the stadium is the original structure. That like my parents have this picture on the wall in their Georgia room of Sanford Stadium before the end zone was closed in before when that when, end zone when they had was the open. hill people or whatever. Yeah, and so the structure of the locker rooms, the actual cinder block building, is the same. You can see it, and I got to see it. So they just built the stadium on top of it. Now they may have renovated the inside of the locker room since then, but it's the same structure from pre nineteen eighty one in closing the end zone. So it, it's old. Let, yeah. Let's just be yeah. clear. It's old. I mean, and I think, you know, I, I always try to keep a little bit of context here when we talk about stuff like this. I mean, there, I think there's a separate argument to be had about, you know, well, should we be spending all this money, blah, 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 blah. But that's not really the argument we're having here. I think really the what this boils down to is if we're going to spend this money, like if you're all in, then you're all in. And if you want to be all in and you want to win, you might as well be efficient about it. And that and that's yeah. that's part of the reason why and- I wanted to have you two on. So to my point, it's like that's why I, I'm upset with the mismanagement as much as I am with being cheap. It's like you spent some money, you just spent it really poorly, and now you're still behind. And all that money, you might as well just flushed it down the toilet. All right. So yeah. and McGarry is not in the business of flushing money down the toilet. So well, this no. is very much against. He's a his, bean counter through and through. Yeah. Yeah. This is very much against his his you know his whole outlook. And so, his personal philosophy on managing the money. And it's also, I, I would say, yeah, the mismanagement of it. And, you know, I understand like recruiting is the lifeblood of the football program. And so I get wanting to have a big wow factor with the recruits. Yep. But I'm I'm very much in agreement with other sentiment that's been shared, you know, bet- amongst the three of us and on any bl- Georgia blog that you find, like, why can't we do like little things, big impact, like make the bathrooms bigger, get better people in the concession line. Like, yeah. you know, those types of things that, you know, where I've heard Matt talk about, you know, his experience at Notre Dame. And, and, that, and that even goes down to the people like the, the, either the game day volunteers or if they're paying him, I don't know what the minimum wage in Georgia is now, or, you know, the minimum wage in Georgia, whatever it is, just making that game day experience for the people that are, that are the revenue stream, essentially. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, that- I the yeah, that, that is bad. That is that has been yeah disrespect. The, he disrespects his revenue. He disrespects the fans, the season ticket holders, and like, so sixteen days notice is disrespectful. So I was just looking here at my notes from correspondence with Seth Emerson, and one of the beefs that we had was that McGarity and his you know cronies came back and claimed that they could raise the ticket prices because Georgia was twelfth out of fourteen SEC schools 
in ticket prices because and you know we won the national or went to the national championship game won the sec and we should have be more expensive than 12th out of 14 which i tend to agree with what he didn't do is some schools don't have mandatory donations and georgia does so he like didn't count all that in with his ticket prices right so when when rebecca did the the crunch she it turns out no no we're not 12th out of 14th we're like depending on how you want to count it somewhere between one two to five like we're we're kind of right where we need to be and so again it's it's disrespectful to sort of like play the stats to your benefit kind of slapping in the face your fans and to your what you just said kyle Having and Nathan, you said you've been to other SEC stadiums, and I, I got to go to Notre Dame this past year as a fan, like not connected, not with the band, not with anything, just going, got myself there, did everything, and it was just, it was awe inspiring, not just, you know, the history and all that kind of garbage, but the just everything about it. They, everything they did was top notch, everything was planned. Everything was organized. The game day experience from the minute you got in onto campus until the game was over and you got back to your car, it was just everything was so well orchestrated. Now, granted, I get that Notre Dame, their graduates collectively probably can donate more money than Georgia graduates, so maybe that's a cost thing there, but it's just there were little things, Kyle. That's what you were talking about, little things with big impact. Well, here's what I would, I would say, Kyle, earlier. You were saying, you know, pay you know pay the minimum wage. Well, I think part of the problem is that the people working inside the stadium, they aren't getting paid at all. Most of the people who run concessions yeah. are doing so on a voluntary basis to get, like, a cut of the charity. And now, like, I'm, you know, like, I work with a high school band. I'm a high school teacher. Like, I'm, I'm very... I'm very sympathetic to that. And I, and sure. I don't want to take away those opportunities from anyone, right. but it does feel like j- just cut a check, you know, just make a, make a separate charity. That money can still go to people who need it. Yeah. Let's, let's pay some people to get out there and train them well. And I know I've heard Blutarski, I've read Blutarski talk about sort of the, the Augusta national model of just sort of like yeah. training people up and flooding the concourses. And our, my experience at Notre Dame, even though I was with the band was very similar. And I think really, really shared through is that, and you guys can attest to this, the general experience with the band is when you show up, you have maybe one person from the other band showing you where to go. And it's just kind of a crapshoot other than that. And you just sort of walk in and count on the fact that you are the band that no one's going to stop you. Um <laughs> But the, our experience in Notre Dame was pretty crazy because it was like when we got off w- the way we came, we came through a toll road. But by the af- like as soon as we got off the toll road, there was someone telling us where to go, and like we were immediately told where to go. As soon as we got there, we had a few hours to stay, and they were like, "Okay, well, hey, our band members are going to lead you on tours," and like there was just all every every part of the experience has been thought of. And I think mm-hmm. how is that beyond us? You know what I mean? There's no reason. Yeah. Even if we have less money than Notre Dame, just on a like per student on a per yeah, alumni how, basis, how much money did all that stuff cost that you were just talking yeah. about? Yeah, that I mean, not like anything. nothing. Yeah, uh, if you, even if you're paying people full time at minimum wage, that's like twenty thousand dollars a year. That's and you're not paying them full time; you're paying them seven weekends a year. Yep. So, it's, and it, that's that's it, man. It's just all about planning, and like you just have to want to do that. And Notre Dame cares so much about their brand and sort of the opinion that people have of them. And, and I mean that in a positive way that they are willing to do that. I was thinking about um, walking into the stadium at Notre Dame ticket scanned and the person scanning my ticket, like stopped me, saw I had on Georgia stuff, stopped me, talked to me, said, welcome to Notre Dame. We've hoped you had a great day, blah, blah, blah. And my experience getting into Sanford stadium is so it's like hurting just cattle into the stadium. 
<laughs> and so like my sister-in-law goes with us. She had an experience where someone, one of the ticket takers made her spit her gum out in the trash can. You know, what? Just, like just, it's just like little dumb thing. Like someone wasn't allowed to take their um, eyeglasses case into the stadium because it was like a half inch bigger than the thing. It's like just common sense stuff that just ruined someone's mm-hmm. game day. And it was needless. Like you're not, you're not taking over a stadium with an eyeglass case or some chewing gum. So yeah. like, you know, be smart. You're not, Mag- you're not MacGyver. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think about how to say this. We, we might have to edit this out. So uh, as a, we are going to edit out what I'm about to say, which is that it's difficult for me to know what I can say and what I can't say as someone who's still like sort of associated with the Redcoats. I and actually wondered, if, I, I didn't know if you were going to bring up the Greg McGarity stuff at all because of that. I was like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about it. Well, that. no, no. I mean, you guys could talk all you want about it because you might uh, donate to the Redcoat alumni, but you know, you're not, you're not getting paid by him. Yeah. I, I mean, I will. Well, I, I can tell you who I'm not. I can tell you who I'm not <laughs> donating to now. Thanks to Greg McGarity. Yeah. So we, we do have some donation money that we're looking to use. So I, we gave it to, you know, we're going to give it to our colleges, Chapel our Bunker. respective. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> we have a Patreon account. <laughs> um, but, and maybe the Redcoats will get a little kick out of it. I don't know. Cause, but my frustration is like, it's, it's, it's symbolic of a more systemic way of doing business. Right. And, and sure. one of the, one of the things I really like about Kirby smart is I like the idea that Kirby smart is like, um, like sort of the Saban model is the model of like sort of exploiting the weaknesses, finding the vacuums, looking at where there is a, a power imbalance, where there's like some things that people haven't done. And that model of sort of leadership, I think is an excellent way to run an organization. And I think it's just in general. And so I don't get why the football team has shown so much improvement and success in that. And yet, and, and you know, sort of in the, athletic department writ large that has not been reflected because kirby has a framework he has a philosophy that you know obviously he learned from saving you'll probably i mean he's the greatest coach of this generation and maybe ever Mm -hmm. if you want to really get in a fight with that alabama fan you can go say who's better saban or the bear that would be interesting that'd be just funny you can tell them the bear's still dead and then they'll get real riled up um (laughs) but yeah it's just that and mcgarity just doesn't i mean i thought he was you know, going all the way back to when he was hired, you know, he went down to Florida. He was what, uh, Jeremy Foley was the AD down there, right? He was Foley's number two. And this is when, I mean, granted Foley hired, he hired urban, I believe. Yeah. So, you know, he had, and urban had a vision for what he wanted to do, but no, I'm pretty sure when Foley was there, the hoops team went back to back and Billy Donovan was hands down the most consistent program, um, in men's basketball, well, and their Foley, gymnastics, their gymnastics team came on a rise, and I'm they sure won a they're couple doing of baseball titles in that time. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was just watching the the they're, game they're back in Auburn last night. Yeah, yeah, they're back in for the fourth year in a row. I mean, and I'm sure they didn't just go from you know worst to first, and I'm yeah. sure all of the, some of their other sports were doing well. So we were, so I was excited. I was like, yeah, he's you know he maybe he, that's kind of this thing. He like found the market inefficiencies, but yeah. well, I that, don't that, think. Greg McGarity has done that. Well, He's Foley, just said, well, I'm going to no. rack it in. I'm going to rack in the dough. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Sly, for getting us that contract. May you rest in peace, getting us that TV contract. I'm just going to get my check at the end of, you know, the last week of May at the big meeting and keep, the donations will keep rolling in. And that's what he's done. Now, might that change? And might he be forced to be reactionary? You know, if, if cord cutting, you know, really gets that prevalent and people are wanting to stay home because, you know, there's a no line to the bathroom and the beer's free and it's air conditioning, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, at my house, things like that. You know, we'll we'll have to see if he gets there. 
But yeah, Kirby has a vision and he's pushed as absolutely as far as he can. McGarity doesn't have any vision. Nope. Well, every everything. And, oh, go ahead, Matt. Matt, go. You go. I was going to say Kirby has McGarity kind of over a barrel right now. Like if if he's going to get anything, him and Jimmy, him and Jimmy Sexton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they have to get it right now. Like he he better ask for everything he wants right now because he will never have more like political clout in the state of Georgia than you do after year two when you go to the Rose Bowl and win it. And you know, like this is the time. And so the previous coach maybe had run out of that. Like he was asking for things and wasn't getting in, you know, at least in in public and the media, he was asking for things, wasn't getting. And then, you know, coach smart shows up and before he's really done anything, like all the wheels start moving, you know, all the stuff starts happening. The the, the grease is on there and this West end zone project and the indoor facility, which was already kind of in the works, but it gets going. um, Thanks to Jeremy Pruitt. And, you know, it's just, you're right, Kyle, there's a lack of vision so I went and pulled again. This is a stats-focused podcast. Yeah. So um, I went and pulled just kind of like what McGarity has done since we're talking about the program on the whole, kind of get us back on the rails. Is like he doesn't get any credit for the coaches, like the all-time great coaches that were here when he got here. So like Jack no. Bowerly, Manuel Diaz, he doesn't get credit for those guys. You know, they, no. they're all-timers and they're Georgia through and through. Um, but and maybe this is going to change because of Kirby Smart, although there's a side narrative where maybe Greg McGeerty didn't even want Kirby Smart. Maybe he wanted Dan Mullen, and the the big boosters kind of called him up and said, no, Kirby Smart's your guy, You know, go get him or whatever. I've heard that story from multiple sources that I don't think would have that wrong. So, But he's still, it's his guy, he gets credit. But you look across the board, and it's like, okay, let's see, baseball coach. So we had a good baseball uh, season, but we didn't win anything in the postseason. So the previous coach that he fired had a 54% winning percentage and had been to three college world series. The new coach has a, uh, when I pulled this stats, he had a 48% winning percentage and had never been past the opening round of the playoffs. So that's a step down and you fired the previous guy. Uh, gymnastics, which is kind of like the bell cow program of Georgia athletics. It's a mess. Like I, I don't, maybe we're going to turn it around with coach Capetz. I don't know if she's going to get it going, but not yet. And we're not competing for national championships. And you know, that's what you're supposed to do with Georgia gymnastics is so yep. uh, under his administration. And I just changed this because the, uh, the men's and women's track teams have won national championships in the last two years. Um, but swimming and diving won a national championship. Um, he doesn't get credit. Equestrian won a national championship. He doesn't get credit. The coach was already here. And then track, who he did promote from within, the track coach, and we've won a, a men's and now a women's and now a men's national championship. But nothing else. No one else has won a national championship under Greg McGarity's leadership. No well, other and in sport. That, and in that time, he's turned over the basketball coach. He's turned so, over the volleyball coach. Volleyball coach, I think, has turned over three times since he's come yeah. here. Yep. I, I mean, and so – in the previous, um, let's see, in the 20 years prior to McGarry's arrival, UGA won 25 team national championships in seven different sports. And since he's been here, like I said, we've got, I guess, four, if you count men's and women's track, we have four different teams right. that have won national championships. And most of the others are worse off or not as close to that as they were when he got here. You know, since we're talking about non-revenue sports, it, it, it does bear... Um, I don't have the number in front of me, uh, but it does bear mentioning that like in non-revenue sports, we, there's a similar gap in facilities between us and the rest of the SEC. We well, I, Do you have I that want, number on the baseball stadium? 
Um, so I don't, not baseball specifically, but I wanted to bring up about tennis because tennis is sort of like another one of those bell cow Georgia sports yeah, that doesn't get talked about that much. One of our but, uh, country club sports we're good at. Yes, and and have been good for a very long time and um, have had historically the nation's premier tennis facility, uh, the Dan McGill facility, the nation's premier facility. Well, the NCAA used to have their national championship tournament in Athens regularly. It was kind of like the... One of the rotational spots, yeah. It was like the unofficial home of the championships. Well, they're not coming back to Georgia because they kept telling us that we needed um, additional uh, indoor courts and, and you know, there's just some upgrades that needed to be made to the facility. Let me point out as an aside that Greg McGarity was a tennis player oh, at the right. University of Georgia. So this oh. should be... This should be right in his wheelhouse. That's a layup. I mean, that's just a layup because it's going to be yeah. like it, it, it's going to be like three million dollars to add to like that. That's a yes. drop in the bucket. So the NCAA has pulled out, pulled the championships out of Athens. Um, it's like twenty. I, I don't have this year exactly in front of me. It's like twenty twenty three is the earliest possible date that they could come back to Athens. Now we are currently exploring the additions to the tennis facility that we should have already done. But again, it's reactionary. Yeah, it's yeah. Always it's reactionary. Yes. Well, and and I and I was actually going to mention we recently completed a several million dollar facelift to Foley Field, uh, the, the baseball stadium. And don't get me wrong, I do love Foley Field. I think it's a fun experience. But yep. if you have been to another SEC baseball stadium, it is not close to yep. another SEC baseball stadium. Most SEC baseball stadiums they look like high A or triple A minor league ballparks our baseball stadium is more like a low a but we have we have a we have a stadium much closer to the mississippi braves than to the gwinnett braves or strip stripers or whatever they are stripers now. yeah not yeah stripers strippers. stripers yeah cool <laughs> uh, look i never thought i'd say these words but if we could get to a point where we would where we were as good as cool ray field we'd be doing something like it would be a vast <laughs> improvement well, since we're talking about being reactionary, uh, our friends down at the University of Florida just announced that they are building a brand new baseball field. They're going to tear down their old one and use that space for some kind of football facility or something. They're building like a, I think they're finally they're finally getting an indoor too, right? They were the last team without an indoor. Yes, but they are building a new. Now, granted, their team did win the national championship recently, and you know it's been there four years in a row, like we were saying. But they're getting a brand new. They're not putting lipstick on a pig. They're building a brand new facility. And I like the location of Foley Field great, and I know they don't want to move it. Um, but you're right, Nathan. It's It does not stand up. When If you've seen what Ole Miss has, Mississippi State, South Carolina has just built a new baseball stadium in the last 10 years. LSU has built a new stadium. They already had an awesome stadium. They built a new, even more awesome baseball stadium in the last 10 years. And we're just kind of sitting here treading water, um, we, we, you know, added some new luxury suites there on the field level right. so you can make more money. That's but right. The facility overall, more booze because the, the high society <laughs> can hold their liquor, not the plebs. Dude, that, Sorry. oh my God, this is, this is a random thing. And this is not, a, this is actually not even a Greg McGarity thing. I, I think this is sort of like an SEC AD thing. Right <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Now he's, he doesn't, yeah, he's, he's, there's people above him that are saying, but, no, we're but in the, the idea, we can't sell booze in the stadium. The idea that we can give the frankly older white people in the shaded in in the shaded club seats no offense to anyone here who might have taken those seats in the past but the, the fact that those people can get beer and like all of us okay well i can't get beer either way because i'm working but were i not working <laughs> that all of us plebs just can't because it's beneath us somehow it is just so 
it's so reflective of, and I think that a lot of Greg and Garrity's problems are just AD problems writ large or writ small, really. Um, but it's just so reflective of, of a lack of understanding of just the, the, the situation on the ground. It's lipstick on a pig. It's like, it's like, yes, free Wi-Fi will definitely be the thing that makes people start going to games again. But see, Kyle alluded to it already, but we're talking about the future. And so maybe there's cord cutters and there's, but we all know that the fans in the stands are treated kind of like the studio audience of a football game right now. It's really a made for TV event, but that's going to have to come like that pendulum is going to swing back at some point. And all this garbage about the restrooms overflowing and the concession lines being, you know, crazy and the, the, just everything about the fan experience that we've already talked about, that's going to come home. Those chickens will come home to roost and it would be again proactive to go ahead and just start improving the quality bit by bit, um, showing some initiative, and who knows, maybe people like me would quit griping so much. Yeah, well, I mean, we've gone forty-five minutes on. Uh, we we got to we got to transition out of this, I think, at this point. But I, I I do think that 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 sort of puts a neat bow on it. It's it doesn't take a genius. It doesn't take someone with a degree in sports and business administration to figure out where this trend is going. And so the fact that no one at, frankly, any major SEC institution, but, you know, including <laughs> UGA, that no one has figured out that, you know, maybe we should try to get ahead of this is, it's very frustrating. But, um, you know, knowing the three of us, we can gripe all day. So let's, we're going to transition here into some thoughts about actual on the field stuff. Um, do, do, do you mind if- can can I record one more thing before we transition? Yeah, yeah. I know that I know that Justin's going to email this or is going to edit this and make it like prettier than it has been. Yeah. But so this is um uh, my wife would be angry with me if I didn't include this. So okay. um one of the <laughs> uh, President Moorhead at his State of the University address this past uh, year or just a couple of months ago said that one of the initiatives of the school as a whole academically is um to focus on data literacy. In fact, every major program, every class at the University of Georgia by a a few years in the future has to have a plan for how to implement including data literacy in their curriculum. So I want to point that out um, because we're talking about one of the highest profile members of the University of Georgia. That would be the Athletic Association and specifically Mr. McGarity and how he focuses on data. Here are some direct quotes from Mr. McGarity uh, when asked about the the data being a little misleading that he presented on why he was raising the ticket prices. He says, quote, misleading. We never presented that this was an all in because data is so hard. There are 13 different ways to do that. And it's very difficult to gather that information. That's the information that my wife gathered in a couple of days of calling ticket offices at other SEC schools, by the way. Uh, But again, here's another quote. When you can't draw on specific data, it's very difficult to present data that is inconclusive, McGarity said. That's your athletic director, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. He he is an incompetent buffoon. And I think we can I think we can just roll out of that without any comments. Um, Thank you, Nathan. Now we can talk see, about football. Now we can talk about football. Now. Let's talk about some well, actual football. Let's or Ed, Ed, Ed Orgeron would say football, football. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, hey, that, that guy's coaching in the SEC again. I he know, right? Got another job. He got uh, another job. We were another just talking coaching job. We yeah. were talking about how administrators try to play it safe and be reactive in order to not lose their jobs. And if you really want a good, I mean, just Joe Oliva and just hiring Ed Ogeron, like yes. good, good Jesus. 
<laughs> good, good God Almighty! Like, oh, I, I, well, and they won't like him when they have another bad year. Yeah, so, it's not going to take. It's going to take much. It's not going to take much. All right, guys. So now let's uh, talk about. Let's be positive, as Matt said. Let's talk about uh, football. So what I'm going to do is I want to just I'm going to give you both you know, individually a couple of questions about what you think about this team's going to look like next year. So let's start with just, you know, we can do this positionally or you can do it player by player, uh, where we think the strengths and weaknesses of this 2018 iteration of UGA football are going to be, starting with Kyle. The sh- well, I'd like to start with the, you know, I'm not starting positive like you asked, but because I, th- I think, because <laughs> well, everyone's, at the, the defensive line, you know, it's the SEC, the, the trenches are where most games are won or lost. So, I mean, on the offensive line, I feel good about it. You know, another year with the O-line coach, uh, another year bringing back the three starters from last year and a lot of guys that got snaps last year. So, you know, if they just go on a natural, you know, Kirby smart trajectory, if you will, then they're going to be big time, you know, solid contributors to big time contributors there. So I'm not, you know, really too worried about it. You know, Andrew Thomas moving from right to left, not worried about it. I mean, if he's stepping in day one and playing the full slate every snap, unless he got tired or something, not worried about him switching over. Um, Isaiah Wilson sliding in on right tackle, not worried about that. And then whichever, I think it's like, you know, five or six guys that are really competing for really actually, actually those, those two in guard spots. And then they're thinking about wanting to move Cleveland out to tackle. So it's like, you know, Cleveland and some other guys jostling for three spots. I mean, he, he's got a, got a, got a bunch of good options. It's just going to be over those, you know, 20 some odd practices in the spring who gels together best. And I'm not too worried about Kirby figuring that out. Um, on the defensive line, you know, I mentioned this in the email that I sent to, to you, Nathan, you know, there's this narrative that the D line's in trouble. Trent Thompson isn't here anymore. And John Adkins isn't here anymore. And, Who's going to play? Who's even going to suit up for Georgia? Like, I, I just don't, I, I personally don't get the narrative and, and I don't buy it because, you know, John Adkins, he was a senior last year, solid contributor. You know, we could stick him in the middle of the line. And he was essentially a stump. You know, two guys had to block him. So it let Roquan do his thing. It gave either, you know, Lorenzo Carter or Davin Bellamy a one-on-one matchup that we liked. You know, it allowed us to do, you know, to, it tilted the numbers game in the defense's favor. Um, but you know, guys like that, I mean, there's definitely one on the, on the roster somewhere for 2018. I mean, it's probably going to be, I would guess Julian Rochester right mm-hmm. off the top, or if Hawkins Muckle could come in and just be a stump, that's great. Mm-hmm. Both of those but, guys, I, I, mean, I think have, uh, had some like body makeup issues, Could you know, so yeah, but I think they can definitely turn around. Sure. But you know, this, I mean, this is, I mean, Julian Rochester, he'll be a junior and Hawkins Muckle will be a senior. So I'm I would think they've worked those things out. Yeah, as a freshman, for sure. There's all sorts of, you know, doughy body type issues getting into the strength program and just going up against guys that can actually push you around versus in high school, you know, you know, they're in the high school season. They're not seeing anyone that can push them back. It's usually when they go to those Under Armour camps or those Nike camps, they're getting guys that can push back on them. Um, And I loved when Trent was here, but my, my big issue was he he was not for being the number one recruit in the country. When he came in, he performed at a level, not just a little bit lower than that. Cause I mean, you can only obviously go down from there. He performed, I think at a level much lower. He very much did his flashes in the pan thing. And so I don't, I don't, you know, Matt and Nathan, I don't know how you feel, but I, I still think the D line is going to be 
solid. You know, they, we brought in that guy, uh, I think Jarvis, is Jay Hayes. Name, Jarvis Hayes. Jay Hayes. Yeah. Transfer in and, you know, he played pretty much every game for Notre Dame. So if he can play every game for Notre Dame, play every game for us. Jonathan I mean, Ledbetter is going to excel. I mean, from Carter, Clark, Marshall, and Rochester, they're going to hit. I mean, some of those guys have already proven themselves and they're going to hit on some of the maybe talented guys that are unproven. So I'm not, I'm not hitting the panic button on the D line. I don't know what you guys are thinking. Then what's yeah. this narrative? I'm just, what am I? Well, I mean, I, I think, what am I missing? Well, I think there is, there is a fear about depth. I, I would say, what we're talking about is the difference between going eight deep and 10 deep, uh, which is a concern, but a marginal one, I would say probably, I mean, Jay Hayes, uh, I can finally get a stat in here. Pro football focus uh, does play by play grade outs. And um, I mentioned this before on the podcast, but Jay Hayes actually graded out last year at a better level than all, every UGA defensive lineman other than John Atkins and significantly above on run stops than Trenton Thompson. So even if he is just a replacement level player to Trenton Thompson, I'm, I don't really have a lot of concerns. I agree. Matt yeah. thoughts on D line. Uh, I agree a hundred percent with Kyle. I do think that it's, it, it, I, I don't feel like it's going to be a great defensive line, but I also don't see it being a weakness for, yeah. the, for the team. So Kyle, yeah. Kyle, what do you think the weaknesses are? Uh, I mean, you know, you brought up the the depth on the line could be an issue. You know, if you know if one guy goes down, we'd be okay. But yeah, if like two or three guys had nagging near ankle injuries with how big they are, that would be that would be a problem. You know, the secondary is uh, it's still not gonna it it'll still be a good secondary. I still think it's a, 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 probably a season away from being a great secondary. Yeah. I mean, DeAndre Baker on one side, he's he's locking down whoever. He's playing. I mean, I know that in college, he's not going to follow the team's best receiver all the time. He's usually going to stay on his side of the field just because it's the systems they typically run. But whoever is lined up against him, he's going to be he's going to be better than that guy. I mean, I can't think of an SEC wide receiver right offhand that's going to be better than him. So not worried about that. And I love Tyreek McGee and J.R. Reed. There, you know, they're kind of in that. I think they're in that Aaron Davis mold where they're solid players this will be their you know their second or third year in the system so they just know it backwards forwards inside out but you know if they get got matched up against a second receiver or maybe even a tight end that was you know uber talented then yeah they're in trouble because they're they're smaller guys and they're just they just don't have the measurables unfortunately that you know other high quality uh corners or safeties in the sec have and you know having you know d'angelo gibbs is dealing with whatever he's dealing with. I hope it, you know, certainly hope it gets better, but you know, we don't really know what we have with him quite yet. I mean, he came in, you know, really highly recruited, but I don't know if we even saw enough of him in the early part of the season to say, yeah, he, you know, a natural progression, he'll be okay. You know, Richard LeCount's getting, he's getting, I don't want to say he's in Kirby's doghouse. That's not the right word, but he's really, you know, Kirby's even grinding on him because he can, Kirby can see it that he can go from good to great with mm-hmm. some work. Well, and but, I, know, I think, he the report on him is that he's just not a good practice player, right? He just well, that that doesn't do well with Coach Smart. No, that's yeah, not that is, well. yeah, definitely not. Um, so I mean that that would be an, an area there. So so there, if we had you know, let's just say McGee or Reed get hurt, and we got to plug in, you know, even William Poole or any of the freshmen, even this Tyson Campbell kid who's you know coming in off with an off the charts recruiting rating, and I'm sure his tape is great. I haven't watched it, but you know, it's like every Every SEC corner, you know, from, you know, from 
Asher Allen to Paul Oliver to, you know, name any of the more recent ones. Those were kind of the ones when, you know, three of us were in school. Like the first year, you, you just, your nickname is Toast. Like the other, you know, the coach, our coach knows it, unfortunately. He'll never admit to it. He'll always talk him up, of course. Our coach knows it. The other coach, the opposing coach for that week knows it. The opposing QB is going to know it. And the opposing wide receiver is going to know it. Yeah. So that that would be the kind of the biggest area for concern there. I, I think so. Speaking of weakness, we're, we're on the defensive side of the ball, so we'll stick with that. But the secondary, I think, is going to be okay. Depth is an issue, like Kyle was saying, because if we hit, if we have to plug in one of those young guys, they're going to be very talented, but they're going to make big plays and also dumb plays because that's what young players they're do. They're going to get out of position, that's for sure. They're, we're going to have that like you know Todd Grantham moment where they're like looking at the sideline with their hands out, like I don't know what to do. Like, Where's that's the gonna towel? Happen. Yeah, uh, so that's going to happen, and it's not because they haven't been coached up. It's because they're young. So hopefully that won't happen. Hopefully we can just plug those young guys in in some spots to get them some experience but not have to play them sort of a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, yeah, I think we're good at the top. I think the number the, the scariest thing for me on defense is the linebacking core because I think of all those like great seniors that came back, um, you know, they're all gone. And I, But Roquan, who's a junior and left early – to me, he's the least replaceable person, and that really means something coming from – you know, we lose uh, the SEC's all-time leading r- r- running tandem. They're both gone, and yet I'm talking about a linebacker is the hardest one to replace, and so that should say something. And that's because if Roquan Smith – first of all, he didn't make any bad reads – uh, and then when he got to you, you were going to the turf. There was no doubt that oh, you yeah. were going to be tackled. He didn't miss any tackles. You can't replace that. I've never seen a player – like that and i've been watching football a long time that just never i mean like i just can't think of a a single time when he was not where he was supposed to be or missed a tackle he was always where he's supposed to be and he always made the tackle to me that's that's tough and of course you know with the defensive system we're running some of our past rushers were actually coming out of the linebacking core and so i you know i don't really know how to divide that out in this conversation but just to say that that's the place where the linebackers are the quarterbacks of the defense. The linebackers are the ones that make sure everyone's in the right place. They're the ones that make sure everybody knows what's coming. They're the ones that are sort of identifying formations and making sure everybody knows. I mean, it's fairly easy to play defensive line as long as you're big and strong and, you know, whatever, but you don't have to know anything. Linebackers have to know everything. And so that's where I think our biggest weakness comes this year. And we'll know pretty soon. I think, you know, certainly about the South Carolina game, you know, we'll talk about the games in a minute, but we're going to know right then whether – these guys who are very talented. I mean, like that's the thing with the way we've been recruiting. We're not going to lack talent anywhere. It's just a question of are they going to round into form in time to help us make big plays. I, I was thinking about that Notre Dame game. We've talked about it several times. And like that was that was a turning point of this past season um, because it was so close and it was, I won't say a hostile environment because it was half door to people, but <laughs> it, it was on the road. A lot of those players, young players, it's their first – road game in a different environment but how many times did those people who have left including Roquan including um, the pass rushers including running backs and whoever you want to talk about how many times did they make a seemingly game-changing play in South Bend sure and there are there's none of that that those guys aren't there so someone else has to be get over the hump and make that play and I think the linebackers are where I'm most concerned about someone like I just don't know who that person is yet. That's my question. I just don't know who it's going to be. I think the talent's there. I just don't know who's going to make the play. 
Sure. Yeah. And I don't think we'll find that. I mean, I think coming into this, to coming into the 17th season, you, we just knew like, cause Lorenzo had been here so long. Davin had been here so long. Um, Dominic Sanders had been here for so long. Like we just knew. And yeah, those, those players that are there. Like we could pick out some contenders right now. Like I think Ledbetter could do some of those things for us. De- DeAndre Baker can definitely do some of those things for us. Oh, I think Monty, I think Monty Rice is sort of your prototypical. If you, if you, I mean, for everyone not named Roquan Smith, Monty Rice is your prototypical sort of SEC inside linebacker, sort of sure Ruben Froster type. Yeah. And and Monty my, Rice might be able to do those things. And I think you know DeAndre Walker, you know, linebackers of concern. But this guy, I mean, I, the Rose Bowl was on when I came home when I flew in from Kansas, you know, last week. And so Carrie and I were just watching it, and like DeAndre Walker all over the field. I mean, he's not playing as much, but he's playing. A pretty good amount so I, I mean it's not like he's going to be thrust into this full-time role and I'm like hmm, can he really perform mm-hmm. at that level at a full-time basis you know I, I think he can but it's it's a lot of we feel you know it's like we have talent but when you know and it's unproven but when it comes to those big moments I mean yeah. I guess you know south you know it's really typically the road games you know Notre Dame's a good example or the Rose Bowl game south, I mean South Carolina good, I think and in, in, is the obvious sort of thing you would worry about in this next season and, and I think Mentally, we're talking like these guys are physically as talented as any players, you know, that they're taking the place of. Sure. But mentally, are they going to be ready? You know, when the big door swings open, are they going to be ready to make plays? And you can't, when you're in the Rose Bowl and you're playing, you know, one play a series or two plays a series or whatever, and you run on the field, and you make a big play and you run back off, then you get to kind of pat yourself on the back and kind of celebrate for a minute there. But when you're the every down, middle linebacker or or safety or corner whomever like you got to get back to the line and play another play and whoever you're playing we're playing big boy football they're coming at you again so you better be ready to play the next the the next down and the next down and that's mentally taxing it's mentally taxing to think about much less to actually do and so that's the part where i worry about young players coming in and so i think we're going to be as talented across Mm -hmm. the board but we don't have those older, more seasoned players like Kyle was just talking about who yeah. we know can step in and do it. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we are in sort of rarefied air, you know, if only in the sense that there have probably not been many. I, I mean, how, when, when's the last time there was a Georgia team that was this good? Like just pure talent. I mean, probably not in our lifetimes. I mean, uh, I, I mean, 2005, think, uh, maybe 2004. Yeah. I, th- I think the 2002 Georgia team is still sort of the gold standard of talent because you had Mark Ricks coaching with Jim Donnan's recruiting. So right. it was like a really nice mix there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think 2002 is a really good team, but as far as pure talent, I don't know, man. This, yeah. It, so, it, so it is, it is and, sort and of champagne problems. Year, it's going to be next year because we just keep recruiting like yeah. gangbusters. So, yeah. So, I mean, what, what, we can kind of, I think we've kind of covered streaks and weaknesses. So let's just go ahead and let's talk about predictions from you guys. What do you guys, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to give me a number or a record, but just what, what are you feeling about the season? Um, just as a note to our readers, I, every year when we were in band together, either on the first away trip or at someone's house before the game, we would basically have this conversation, just like a 20 minute conversation about like what we think about this season. So let's, sure. let's, let's try to recreate that old magic here. <laughs> uh, here, Matt, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Um, you go first, Kyle. I'll do it after you. So about like, uh, 
prediction wise, I'll kind of go with the um, a micro and then I'll go bigger. So for for players, I think we're going to end up playing a pretty good number of freshmen this year. Like just looking back on you know recruiting, you know, kind of a kind of a very inexact science, but you know, last year kind of the bar was if you came in and your you know your twenty four seven sports rating was zero point nine six or higher, you ended up playing. Let's see, because Andrew Thomas played from had to play. D'Angelo Gibbs played a bit. DeAndre Swift played a lot. Richard LeConte played a little bit, and then you know kind of tailed off. The only guy who didn't play period was Isaiah Wilson, and that was because you know he even admitted changing the weather, kind of a doughy body, but you know he's going to be at what right tackle probably this year i mean by my count if you take that number that that minimum 0.96 there are 11 guys that are clearing that threshold from the class that we just signed this february and you know some of them are in spots like there's a couple o-line guys that are probably going to be contributors somewhere or they're going to be strong contenders i mean justin fields i don't know how much he's going to play because that locker room is jacob Fromm's for sure um, I mean, you know, Zamir White, everyone thinks he's kind of like Nick Chubb on the rehab. I don't know about that because I've only seen one Nick Chubb. The last type of Nick Chubb I saw was Herschel Walker, and that was before my time. So we'll have to – I think we need to pump the brakes on that a little bit. Although but, I will say like, that Zamir White, his comp is not Nick Chubb, dude. It's freaking Todd Gurley. If he ever gets great. it back – if he gets it back, it's – Yeah, I agree with that. That's great. But, yeah. you know, and, and even if he's – you know. If he you know, he has to Zamir has to take a red shirt year this year, oh no big deal. We'll slide in this guy that no one's talking about, James Cook, who came in rated zero point nine eight. Like <laughs> and Stud. no one's talking about this. And this is Dalvin's Cook Dalvin Cook's brother. So if he gives us seventy five percent of what Dalvin Cook did at Florida State, that's awesome. Like that'll be great. And you know there are a lot of you know some some outside linebackers on it here. Bretton Cox is highly rated. Adam Anderson, I think, will play. So I think we'll again see a lot of freshmen playing. You know, just you know, very much on that arbitrary uh, number that I gave right there. And then on the season, I mean, you know, as I've I've looked at the schedule you know, a couple of times since the season ended, and just looking at it, the only game that I'm you know shaking in my boots maybe a little bit is that. Is it really, and you know, it's really just the road games for this team, I think. And it's that early one, the second weekend at the, at the Roach, just because, you know, it's, it's early in the season. We, we kind of spoke to that, you know, the young players coming in to a road environment. Some of it will be their first, either their first start or their first time they're getting a lot of playing time and, and how will they react? Um, you know, and that's not even, I'm just take, taking a look at the Georgia team. You know, you guys will get to the the South Carolina, and they're changing their style of play and you know what their roster looks like at that point. But the other ones, like Missouri, eh, not worried about that. Especially if Derek Dooley's the offensive coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about you know our, our probably our new favorite character in the SEC, Ed Orgeron. You know, they go to Tiger Stadium in October, but I mean Kirby's going to coach circles around Ed Orgeron, so I'm not shaking in that one. So. I mean, the schedule sets up very nicely for this team to go. I mean, I'm, I haven't done the math right here, but I mean, they, they should be double-digit wins and they should represent the East in the SEC championship game. And then from there, it's, you know, kind of, it, I don't want to say it's a crapshoot, but it's, you know, just who comes out of the West and what's the matchup, who's peaking at, you know, in the first weekend in December and all those other things. Thoughts, Matt? Kyle, as per usual, is spot on. Um, <laughs> the thank you, Fasha. 
The, 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 the dog father. Carolina, the dog father speaks. That's so right. South Carolina game is scary. It's like the way the South Carolina game used to be when it used to be the second game of the season, and then Spurrier would schedule their first game to be on a Thursday night, so he had two extra days to get ready for Georgia because that's the way he would do it. Um, but it's scary. I, I think that anytime the Georgia-South Carolina game like just look at history anytime it's earlier in the season it benefits south carolina because georgia's always going to have more depth than south carolina and you haven't had really any injuries or fatigue or anything that doesn't come into play so it benefits south carolina we are still by and large more talented than them at every position by a wide margin however we have young talent and they got to play it's a cbs game it's you know second week of the year, first road game in what can be a very hostile environment. It's going to be hot as heck down there in Williams Bryce, and so it makes me nervous. That's uh, you know that's the the easy answer as to what are you most nervous about because I I trust Kirby Smart to coach them as the season progresses. We're going to get better. Like we're going to get the young guys are going to round into form and they're going to know what they're doing. And you know so we're not going to get surprised by somebody you know late in the year. The only team on the schedule who can match us, you know, that talent-wise is Auburn. Uh, Auburn's the only yep. team on the schedule that should be scary to you in terms of talent-wise. And so then you start looking at coaching and, well, you know, I like Kirby over Muschamp. I like Kirby over the guy at Tennessee. Has he pissed off enough people to get fired yet? I don't know. Or Orgeron. If you hear the, st- the behind-the-scenes stories about his time at UGA, I feel like yes. that's coming. There's going to be a power struggle at Tennessee – because Fulmer wants the job back. He set himself up to do it. So the first time Pruitt does anything sketchy, they're going to run him out on a rail. Fulmer's going to backstab him just like he did Johnny Majors, and he's going to assume the throne. It's like they should make a TV show about that. It's what's going to happen. So write it down. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. Fulmer will be the coach at Tennessee, <laughs> and he will backstab Jeremy Pruitt. Wait, are, we saying, are we saying – are you, are you, are you as um... – Willing to go, he'll be the the head coach in 2018 or the first half of 2019. Is that how? I, I'm confident? not putting. I'm not putting a timetable okay. on it. All right, all right. Not putting a timetable on it. Hang I'm on. just saying. Like, and, trying to trying to trying to get you to make a prediction for the peeps here, if, man. If you, want, if you want to stir people up, you he might already be the coach there. He might be the puppet master. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that, that could be happening because Fulmer's a shady character. Let's just be honest. Um, and, and, and his shade is very large and wide. <laughs> That's a fat joke. That's right. Um, <laughs> okay. So anyway, I was saying, so uh, Florida, uh, you know, I'm not worried about Mullen there yet. I mean, ma- yeah. so like Mullen system can work at Florida. It has worked at Florida of course. before. Can work at Florida, but he has to have the right personnel and he doesn't have it. So yeah. not worried. And he's got um, Todd Grantham. So I have and- yeah, yeah. <laughs> third and yeah. Grantham. I, I, I feel like, and this is uh, this is me tipping my hand early. But if we don't run like fifteen jailbreak screens on third down, like against Grant, Todd Grantham's defense, like I don't even know what are we doing. Or just you know what? Here's or or or, or the wheel route. I was about DeAndre, to say, <laughs> Di- DeAndre Swift in the wheel route. Just diamond backfield. All three running backs in the wheel route. Just two <laughs> on one side. I, they can't cover it. No, no, they can't. So anyway, looking at the schedule, and th- this is really the sort of like deep Matt Phillips philosophy of this season is we're going to have a good year. I, you know, even like a worst case scenario, there's really only like three and possibly four losable games on the schedule 
without some sort of catastrophe happen. And really, I think there's only like one and possibly two that I'm kind of like, eh, about going into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to have a similar record going into the postseason, whatever that is, as we had last year. I don't think it's going to feel definitive as last year. We were thinking about, I was actually watching the Tennessee game from last year earlier this evening. And, you know, we obviously shut those guys out. But think about how many games were completely and totally decided before we ever got to the fourth quarter. When we would play Krypton, your Krypton would come on for the fourth quarter. And, like, most of the Georgia fans were just staying so they could turn their cell phone light on for Krypton. They didn't mm-hmm. actually want to stay because the game was over. We had dominated. And I don't know that we're just going to dominate people buzzer to buzzer like we did last year. But I do well, think we're going to win a lot of we're going to win a lot of games. And so, Nathan, you already said road games are scary. So South Carolina and LSU are scary. Auburn's scary because of the, the shorter talent gap than all the others. I, I'm just, you know, I, I see this being kind of like a – without any sort of catastrophe happening. So I'm going to reserve that, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I think we're a 10-win team. You know, even if we don't play that well, I think we're a 10-win team. Yeah, that's and the think, middle of the bell curve for sure. Yeah, and, and so – you know, and I think we sneak out 11 wins, and so it looks kind of similar to last season. And then, like Kyle said, you don't know what happens in the postseason, but Georgia could end up in the SEC championship game, in the college football playoff, same as last year, but it won't – it's not going to feel the same. It's not – it's it's going to feel different, I think. So that's my sort of like macro point on this season is I think we're going to win a lot of games. I think we're going to beat a lot of people. There's going to be something special about the season, and anytime you go to the – you know, you – win the SEC, you win the Rose Bowl, you go to the Rose Bowl for that matter, go to a national championship game, get to the college football playoffs, all those things make special seasons. There's nothing on the schedule that sets you up for something special like last year. So you go to South Bend last year, you get a win there, that's special. So there's nothing like that on the schedule already where you know th- these are just games that you have to play year in and year out. Um, the trip to Baton Rouge is probably the closest thing to something like that. It's a little abnormal with the new SEC scheduling. So – that being said, I, I think Georgia wins 10 or 11 games, and it feels good, but it doesn't feel like last year. That's my hot take. <laughs> not not so hot, I guess. <laughs> what do you think, Nathan? Um, well, I don't have all the numbers right now, but I mean, I think the re- part of the reason that our defense last year was so special is because we were efficient. We were good at, really good at forcing three and outs, and part of the reason we were good at forcing three and outs is because um, Roquan Smith is my – my dearest love and i can't say enough good things about him when that sack of when that columnist from chicago started talking bad about roquan smith and what i would say was pretty blatant dog whistle racism just bt dubs um and also like super north south elitist but whatever like absolutely last busing rights in the united states in boston in the 1980s that's all i'm saying um (laughs) just look it up Point of fact. Um, I'm not saying we're not racist. I'm just saying let's not like throw, let's not throw houses or throw uh, stones through this very very glass house. But no, I, I think part of the reason we were so efficient is because mistakes. It was easy to cover up mistakes when you just have this human heat seeking missile in the middle of the defense who just doesn't make mistakes. So I do think we'll take a step back efficiency wise on defense. I think we probably might take a step forward. Um, uh, you know, just explosiveness wise, just because I think we're gonna probably. <clears throat> You know, Lorenzo Carter, Davin Bellamy, amazing players. But the way we run the 3-4, we weren't asking them to really rush a lot. I think we're going to have to rush a lot. And I think DeAndre Walker is probably a better rush end than either of them just as a pure pass rusher. 
so I, I think we'll get a little bit more explosive, but I also think that the offense is going to take a big step forward. I, I, and I know that's kind of blasphemous by having Chubb, even though Chubb and Michelle are leaving. I mean, at the end of the day, that offensive line in our lifetimes, there has probably not been a more talented offensive line at UGA just from top to bottom. There, there's, there's eight dudes who are like four and five stars competing for two spots at this point on that offensive line. Like three stars need not apply almost at the, that's almost where we are. Like, just don't even bother. Um, but Georgia, Georgia tech has some scholarships available. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if you want to cut block all day. Yeah. God, I, I have so many thoughts about Georgia tech, but, um, but I, I, I think I agree with both of you. I think we're looking at a 10, 11, one season. Uh, this is my sort of, I'm, I'm not going to give any, anything too specific because we're going to do like a two hour long preview, um, episode. But I, I, I will say that I think to me, a lot of the season comes down to the South Carolina game and not just for the win and loss, but because every, uh, you know, we, we started this chapel ball curve journey around this time last year. And every week it felt like we would say, well, if Kirby Smart is going to prove that he is the next Saban, he has to do X. If Kirby Smart has turned the program around, he has to do X. Why? And every single time he did it, just the whole time, it was like, he's got to beat, he's got to beat Notre Dame on the road. That's, that'll be big. He did it. He's got to come back and beat Auburn after losing to Auburn. He did it. He's got to not get upset by a mid-tier SEC team. He did it. The last thing he has not done and this is the the most classic UGA thing is to lose to South Carolina early in the season when you should. Oh, that, that, that is so true. I mean, <laughs> like, let's be honest. Take take this. Take make every single thing the same except for the except for the head coach. Same teams. Everything else is the same except Mark Richt is still the head coach. We would be talking right now. Oh, we're gonna lose that South Carolina game. Uh, that would be that would be the first thing out of my mouth is Mar- if Mark Richt was the head coach of this exact team. So sure. I I kind of think you know that's going to be my big question early season is just can we just get in there and beat them comfortably not not I'm not thirty points but like twenty one seventeen whatever I was just looking at South Carolina schedule because I'm always intrigued um, you know you lose in Columbia on week two and the problem with that is it's an East game and it puts you behind the eight ball for the rest of the year. And there were several years where Georgia had a better team than South Carolina, obviously lost to them. And then we're having to play catch up in the division the whole rest of the year because of that. So I was looking at their schedule and they have to play A&M and um, Ole Miss from the West. We have to play LSU and Auburn, you know, from the West. So I, I think that when you look at it, I think Auburn is clearly the toughest of those four schools and, I don't know who the second toughest is. I think it's kind of a, a toss-up between the other three. My point being, I think arguably you can say that our schedule after the South Carolina game in conference is more difficult than theirs because of the Auburn game, and they don't have that Auburn game. Uh, I haven't looked at the home road splits. So I don't know about that, but just looking at who you play, you don't want to lose that South Carolina game on week two for that reason is you're behind the eight ball and you still have a possible loss with Auburn down the stretch. And, you know, if they're good enough to beat Georgia in week two, they're good enough to beat anybody else that's on their schedule, mm-hmm. looking yep. at their schedule. So you, you can't count on them going and losing two SEC games yeah. after beating you. And that's what they have to do. So that's my point is that uh, we don't want to lose to South Carolina in week two, obviously, but it's worse this year. Back to the Muschamp point. I feel like so many teams, and I guess Tennessee is going to try to do this too. It's going to be like sort of a Saban-esque model. Obviously, Georgia's doing it. Alabama, obviously doing it. But 
South Carolina is when I watched them play last year in Athens, it was like they're just doing all the same things we're doing. They're just not doing them as well because their players aren't as good as our players. Like yeah. you know, like they their philosophy is the same. I'm not talking about the same exact plays, but their philosophy, the things they want to do are the same mm-hmm. things we want to do generally, both on offense and on defense for the most part. Yeah. And for all his shortcomings at Florida, Muschamp's defenses were always really good at Florida. Oh yeah. Um, his offense is always a little iffy, but his defenses were always very good. And I think that that will be the case of South Carolina too. Sooner rather than later, it might be this year. Their defense gave us more fits last year than a lot of the other teams that we played. So that makes me nervous, too. You're talking about an improved offense. Nathan, you're talking about our offense being better, and I think they will be. And I think an O-line is a good way to compensate or sort of counteract a really good defense. Is like, well, when the going gets tough, we're just going to line up, and we're going to bet that our offensive line can push you back three yards on this play. Well, and I think, you know, as good as Jake Bentley was last year, the man turned 18, like, this month. And <laughs> and while he does have more – or he has the same amount of experience as Jake Fromm, but in, in, in our theoretical situation where it's like a four-point Georgia game in the fourth quarter – and you got to put the ball in the guy's hands for a four-minute drill. Like, I just – I trust Jake Fromm, man. And I feel like that's not unwarranted at this point. I mean – Oh, yeah. He's he's just good. I mean, he just he's, – he's one of those guys where he doesn't have – I think one of the problems with Jake Fromm is that he doesn't – there's not, like, an adjective. There's not a narrative you can attach to him. He's not, like, the scrappy underdog kid like Aaron Murray. He's not, like – the 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 dude with the cannon like Matt Stafford but he's you know he's like a pretty average size quarterback who's just good at most things like yeah that's just what he is and he's gonna play behind a better offensive line and he's gonna have a better wide receiver core top to bottom this year than he had last year Mm -hmm. the running backs are gonna be talented but young but like when you need Jake Fromm to make plays on a drive late in the game mm-hmm. you want the wide receivers to be better and they're going to be the o-line to be better and they're going to be they're going <laughs> to give him time to make plays and if he was able to make plays last year as a true freshman yeah. he'll definitely make them as a sophomore with a better o-line well and so. i think i think a big inflection point for the season not just for results and like are we going to the sec championship but just for like what kind of season is this is if uga can go to columbia the second week of the season and beat them soundly we're talking about a pretty special season because that's a game that uh, a, like, you know, generic Georgia team would lose. Even, yes, yeah. even, even, you know, that's the classic, like, well, if you took the names off the helmets, you'd think UGA would win by 15 points, but yep. that's a game that UGA also will lose. And I guess we might just be tortured enough UGA fans to, to think that, but um, yeah, but, you know, we need to, I think there's the, the fans as a whole, we got to get out of that mindset. Like, I think it's a, if Alabama is going to Columbia on week two to play at three thirty on CBS, oh, they're going to win like forty five to seven, and sure. they're not, their fans are not whining about how hot it's going to be. They're yeah. not, you know, they're not. Oh, woe is us! They, yeah. You know, South Carolina's like they have respect for South Carolina, but they also have full expectation of going in there and just beating them like, and winning, yeah. winning the game. You yeah. should win, and that that's yeah. that's I think yeah. going to be the true test of has Kirby brought the Alabama model to Georgia. If you go in there, agreed, and you beat them comfortably or you just Alabama them, that's when it's like, okay, this might be special because 
But that's going to be the new normal. That's what yeah. the new normal is supposed to be, is that you win the games you're supposed to win, and then you outplay teams yeah. when it's a it's 50-50 game. Yeah. Uh, well, and, so, I, and I think you guys kind of brought up a good point about this is sort of a fan thing, because one thing I've noticed, and I don't necessarily have any ins in the athletic department or anything, but just sort of from fan communication and what I know about what players have said, though th- that locker room does not effing care about oh, no. any... And this this was not always the case under Mark Richt, but they don't care about narratives. They don't care about they think they should win. They they get torn up at practice so much. Those dudes are just going practice to practice, trying not to get kicked off the team. Like they they don't care about like I like I went to the um, faculty staff practice or whatever because my wife's a faculty member at UGA, and just the intensity that those practices have are. I mean, unreal. You would not, you would not believe the insanity in those practices. And so I, I, I do say like, I would say Kyle and Matt, I agree that it's kind of like, we got to get past this as a fan base. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I, can, Nathan, let me ask you one question and then we might edit this out, but this is one of my favorite things we would do is so a- answer this question. I'll ask Kyle first, then Nathan. Okay. Kyle, this season is a success if finish. And this season is a failure. If, the season is a success if they win the East and get to the SEC championship game. And it's a failure. It's a failure if they don't. Man, that's cut and dry. That's that's straightforward. Okay, Nathan, same questions. I would say this season is a success if we go into December 2nd with a decent shot to be in the CFP. So not we, not a shoe in, not and not even necessarily in the SEC championship. But if there is, if we are in the, if we are in the playoff conversation on December second, I think it's been a success. I honestly think failure is anything below ten and two. I think I, I if this game if this team loses three team if this game if this team loses three games like I don't know what happened. It, certainly in the regular season, I agree with you. There, yeah. There's I, I don't see three losses on that schedule, but that's that's cut and dry. I like that. Um, the, and for the record, I don't see any way that a team from the SEC East is in the college football playoff conversation if they didn't win the East. Like yeah. I don't, I don't see yeah. any way that happens. So I think you have to be in Atlanta yeah. on the first Saturday in December. Like Kyle said, come what may. Let's just—you were talking about a fan base and a program. This is where we are. That success is you win the East. Yeah, N- nothing less yeah. will be considered success. You must win the East. That's where we are, and I love it. I yeah. love it too. That's <laughs> and, and I and I think my my number one thing is not even just winning the East. And the reason I didn't say win the East is, you know, you hedged. Well, I did. Ha- well, a it's hedging, <laughs> but b it's not even really it's not even really winning the East that I care about. It's just don't shit the bed. That's yeah. how many yeah. times in the five years I was in band, in the years you guys were in band, how many times did UGA just crap the bed? You know, I mean, UGA is, and it's not as obvious because we never lost seventy to seven to to West Virginia. But UGA, UGA, UGA (laughs) was just as much Clemson as Clemson was Clemson in the first ten, fifteen years of this century. And so, you know, I mean, and at some point in the last five years, no one has said Clemsoning in a negative way in the last five years. You know, and so the so the question is like, is that is that stigma off us too now? You know. And God, I hope it is, man. That would be great. Like if we, if we got, if Auburn comes to us and it's a slobber knocker and it's, and it's, 
and it's, you know, a classic and it's a great day and everybody has a good time. I'm at peace with it. And we lose. I'm at peace with it. I, I hate Auburn, and but that's fine. If if South Carolina ends up being good and South Carolina ekes one out against us and the game looks, you know, and it was a hard-fought game and they just made a couple of plays, I'm fine with that too. But if we go in and, like, lose 12-13 to 13 against South Carolina, I will lose my sh- Oh, that would be the worst. Yeah, that's. I'd, I'd rather have that the 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 path we took to lose to Auburn last year. I'd rather have that in the in the regular season. Yeah, because you know it's just all outlier stuff. Like Mecole's not dropping another punt because he caught, you know he's caught them all that year. And I can't. Remember, I think it was one of the DeAndres, either Walker or Baker, that had like a, a bad penalty uh, yeah. or two on the opening drive. Like that's not happening again. Well, I'd that much was, rather. It's some days it's just like yeah. Auburn. That was just Auburn's day. Like it was from the very beginning. And they played a damn good game. And that place, I mean, that place, as, as much as all those hillbillies can eat it, like, that's a, it's a good place to play at home, man. They, it's a, they got a good crowd. Yeah. And they just had a good day. And so, what, you know, what are you going to do then except just say, like, hey, good job. And, yeah. and, and that's fine. But we didn't go in there and look unprepared. They just had a really special day. And then things went sideways. Yeah. I just, I, I will, if I go the rest of my life without seeing another vintage Mark Richt, like, well, I don't know. You know, they just had a good game. Press conference. It, I, yeah. I, I'll die happy. Well, you know, they're long snap really, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Now you're Vince doing it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Quite the throwback. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, or anywhere else that you can get a podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can search Chapel Bell Curve on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or pretty much any other social service. We don't have a Snapchat, but, you know, sure, I'll make one. If you'd like to see any of our other content, you can go to our website at chapelbellcurve.com. We'll catch you in the Classic City. But until then, in the words of all of these fine gentlemen with me, go dogs. Go dogs.